If you would, bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom and insight and desire uh, to embrace what you have to say to us, uh, to hear it with, with hearts that are willing to, to be transformed. And Lord, we ask by your spirit that you would let us see it for what it is and embrace it and love it and treasure uh, what you have said to us today. In Christ's name, amen. I heard somebody speaking about uh, just teaching psalms in general, and they said it's more like a music teacher, which is kind of scary for me, uh, because I couldn't teach you those things, but it's more like a music teacher than a biology uh, teacher. Um, If you think about a biology teacher, they dissect things, and those things have to be dead, and you take them and you like pull all the pieces out, you know, and you've got it all laid out, and uh, so you're just dissecting. And so you have to kill it and cut it up. And that's kind of one of those things that you're like, uh, do you want to do that to a song? It's a song, uh, and it's a prayer, and, and there's a, a flow. And so it, it's more important, I think, to slow down and say, okay, if we're doing doing in the proper way, uh, there are a couple of things. You know, first, you might have to, from the, you have to have to understand it. What are the lyrics? What What is it saying? And you want to, so that kind of takes your you some time to stop and think and consider the words and what they mean and, and those kind of things and then you want somebody if you were in a music class to feel it you want them to experience it in, in their affections to be stirred uh, you don't want them just to, to say oh I know what it means okay let's not even let's not even hear it played you know be like what no that's not what we want we want to we want to feel that and then we also have uh, the aspect of, of like uh, the will where you're saying like we want to sing it with our whole hearts. We want what we're singing to be true of us. So if we're singing great truths about God, we want to be stirred in such a way where we uh, desire to walk away almost like chanting that uh, or singing that uh, to ourselves. And so all of those things are really, really important. Uh, there was a, I read something this week, and I forgot to put it in my notes of a, of really it was like a, a group that was under great persecution and what they did was they outlawed the psalter because they know knew of those singing soldiers had the psalter their hearts would be so stirred and so moved that uh, they, they would uh, stand against anything and so they had to hide their psalters and then they would come uh, back to them and sing those songs and it would encourage them to move forward and to stand firm and so uh, I think it's really important to understand that when we read the psalms and again I just want to remind you when you're teaching your children good songs good songs of the faith or good psalms what well, when you're doing that when you're singing those at night they really are, and we say this over and over, they, they often it will be the last thing they remember when everything else is gone. They will be there. And you may be, uh, uh, and at the end of your days, sitting around and you listening, your final day moments, I guess in this life, like my grandmother, listening to people singing the psalms Uh, and and the songs of the faith. So they need to be good, and they need to be regular diets, and they need to, you need to understand them as a part of your warfare, your spiritual warfare 
in guiding your family, give them good songs, and when they are facing the struggles of this present day and this time and throughout their life, they can stand in those songs, they can rehearse themselves, them to themselves and move forward by faith. Do not neglect that. God created his people to sing. And it's good for them. And so I encourage you in that regard. So you really want the head, the heart, the will, all impacted when you think about uh, studying and reading a song. Okay, quick just kind of outline, thoughts about the outline. Verses 1 through 11 uh, there, it, there's an expression of very intense grief. That, that's the first 11 verses. So you could simply say grieve. Verses 12 through 17 expresses confidence. So they're believing. And then 18 through 23, it, it, there's an expression of prayer, but it's a, it's a petition, so there's pleading. And so uh, I, I read a guy this week that that's how he would break it down, grieve, believe, plead. And I think that's helpful. And I think it's helpful as a pattern for us. And so we're going to so- start in, you know, we're going to begin here. And I want you to think just for a moment about where we are. So this psalm, most people would say, is uh, during the period of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem uh, and then the subsequent temple in 586 B.C., so you kind of need to put that together in your mind. Now you say, wait, hold on. We talked about Asaph. Like, are there multiple people named Asaph? We were talking about him last week, now this week. And there's a separation by, there was a connection to David. Now there's this connection to the temple being destroyed. And the reality is, is that, that, that likely this name was used, almost passed down. Uh, like in a family or in a, a nation with kings where there's this name that kind of continues, this one, the second, the third, the fourth, whatever it may be, that likely is what is taking place here. And so there was this family of priests, as we know, and uh, likely like the house of Asaph, that, that name would be passed down because it's certainly later, or appears to be. Uh, it makes sense for it to be. So a little bit of uh, historical information about Israel. Just thinking with me for a moment, God made a covenant to Abram, or, and then later his name is, is called Abraham. It's a promise of people, land, and blessing. That's what it's, a, it's unilateral. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to save this people for myself, give them this land, and I'm going to bless them. If you remember, after Abraham, there was Isaac and Jacob. Those patriarchs all received the promise, and then... They end up going, Jacob being the final, with his 12 sons into Egypt after a famine. And there was about a 30-year period of good things and then 400 years of bondage. Then the people start crying out, God deliver us. And God raises up a deliverer, Moses, to lead the people out of Egypt, out of bondage, into the promised land. Ultimately, Joshua leads them into the promised land. And if you remember... After they enter into the promised land, and and after a period of about 300 years with judges, God raised up a king, which was the plan all along. And uh, King David ultimately ends up uh, making the capital Jerusalem, and then under Solomon's reign, the temple is built. 
And then the, after the temple, and it's beautiful. I mean, it is absolutely astonishing. And the temple is really God dwelling with his people. It was the center of worship. His presence came and filled the temple at the end. When he leaves the temple, the temple is then destroyed. It was God's uh, inhabitant, uh, inhabiting earth uh, with man and particularly with his people. And so that's uh, where we are now is the people have continued in rebellion. And if you remember, after Solomon, his rebellion, the kingdoms divided, ten of the tribes to the north, two to the south. Uh, the ten to the north are taken away at some point and scattered forever. The two in the south, they end up uh, later in 586 B.C. Uh, being attacked by the Babylonians and uh, everything is destroyed in Jerusalem. And the temple is destroyed, stone by stone. Not a stone left, nothing left. And so uh, most people would say that's where we're at here. These are like... Psalms 73 to 89 are exile psalms. And so when you're looking at this and you're thinking about it, when we get started, you just want to think about being in exile, but not just being, in, but maybe reflecting on the way in which this trouble came and what happened. And you would be thinking back more than just a church building to the center of worship uh, to the center of the faith, to the heart of the faith, and saying, God dwelt with us here, and now everything's lost. That, that's kind of the idea here. So that's where we are, and I think that's, that's what you want to kind of, we want to see. So we want to start in verse 1, and just remember, this is the grieving portion of the psalm. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your uh, anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? So this idea here is being cast off is 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 like he 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 cast them off if you think about you're going out fishing and you cast a lure I've had this happen before the line breaks and it's just it's just cast away it, it just it, it, so he's cast them away and his anger of the, against them is so intense it's like a fire that's been heated up and you see the smoke kind of going up into the heavens. You'll do that sometimes driving down the interstate, and you'll think, oh, I think that fire is, well, that's, he, he almost saying like God's anger is burning so hot that you could look out across the landscape and see the smoke bellowing up, and you say it's against your sheep. And you think, well, hold on just a second. God, the great shepherd, what about Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, what's going on here? There's this, thing of saying like god remember we're, we're we're your sheep we're the ones who would listen to your voice and hear your voice and 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 all of those things would come to mind now again the people had been in crazy rebellion for hundreds of years and god had sent prophet after prophet to help them come back and they would not and god said look i'm going to bring judgment they had heard all of those things but they had continued in their rebellion but remember looking back saying lord Will your anger burn forever? We know that all day at home, as a kid, we've driven our mom or dad or whoever's with us crazy and just keep badgering them, you know? But then it's like you keep going and you go and you go and you go, and then finally they respond, and you're like, hold on, not forever. 
Remember where we were your children. You birthed us. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of, in, you want to put your mind in there, but you think of a whole nation, you think about hundreds of years of rebellion. So he's saying like, Lord, don't hold to that forever. Please remember your congregation, which you've purchased of old, which you have redeemed to the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Now here's what he's saying. This gathering of people that God chose from out of all the people of the earth, if you read just countless passages, you understand that. And, I mean, and he'll say, like, my people who are the apple of my eye, I've chosen them, not because they deserved it, same thing you see in the New Testament, not because they earned it, same thing you see in the New Testament, not because they're great, same thing you see in the New Testament, but because of my kindness towards them, I God would say, like, I've, I've chosen this people, and he purchased them, which drives you back and redeemed them, drives you back to going to, to Egypt, where he, he purchases or redeems them out of this bondage and slavery and rescues them. So he's saying, like, remember to what great lengths you went to save us. You decimated the greatest and most powerful nation of the world. Remember the plagues? Remember how everybody knew you said those are my people and no matter how hard Pharaoh held on, like he could not hold you back. You crushed them. Remember, God, they're your people. You purchased them. You redeemed them. You rescued them. You saved them. You didn't do that for any other nation in the world. Remember. And he says, remember Mount Zion. Remember, remember you had a place to... God dwelling with man on earth. Remember that place? Remember the day that the glory fell on that temple and you came and met with your people? Remember? That, that's, that's what he is saying. Then he says, Lord, come walk with me. Can I direct your steps? I think about someone that's maybe selling a, a property or a, 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 a building or whatever. Come direct your steps. I want to walk you. Let me show you around. Well, here he's saying, come on, let me show you around. But I want to show you around to the ruins. I, I want you to come walk with not. You know, in our day, we're, we think that we kind of get a glimpse of what's going on in a war-torn area. But, you know, to go and walk the streets, that, that's kind of the idea, is to really see. I want your, you to come with me to these ruins. They've destroyed everything. It would almost be like you could come up, and if in Jer Jerusalem is uh, you know, a series of kind of mountains or little, you know, hills, if you will, and you look down and you could see the city. It's like, God, come, let's go up and look over the city and then walk into the city and walk towards the temple and walk up to the place of the sanctuary. Look at every one of these places with me. Remember, Lord, remember the things that that were there. Remember what it was built on. Remember Remember those men cutting those great cedars? Remember those being brought in? Remember how everything was designed? Re remember that? Remember every one of those things? Lord, I, I just, can you see those? 
Now, notice this, Lord. What signs are there now? The signs of your presence are gone. Whose signs are there? Lord, look, these, these vandals have come and destroyed your work. They come in and conquered. They put up their signs. There's no sign of you here. This place that resembled the Garden of Eden is now just trampled on and laid desolate. Remember? Look at verse 7. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name. Remember, the people couldn't even go into the holy place. They've trampled it all down. They've trashed it all. They burned all the meeting places. This is perhaps like all of the places that would have uh, been in within the temple, or it could be some of the early forms of a, uh, places where people would gather when they were in different parts of the country just to, for the worship of God and instruction like a synagogue. Verse 9, we do not see our signs. There are no, there's, even, there's no longer a prophet. It, it's, it, all of these things came to pass. God told them this was coming. But now they're there. And he's saying like, Lord, don't forget. We're still these special people and all the things that were before. No longer any prophet and there's none among to tell us how long. No one there to answer our questions. No one there to speak to us. They didn't listen. But now that we're ready to listen, it's kind of like you have sometimes you'll meet with somebody or you're talking to somebody or spending time with your child and you're saying, are you ready to listen? Are you ready now? Are we ready now? They ready now. That's kind of the idea you're saying. They ready. Like let's we're all ready. Come on, speak to us like you did of old. Verse ten. How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the the fold of your garment and destroy them. Now this is interesting. Because he's already taken them through holy place. He's pointed out all these things. You could think of the ark and the lampstands, the altar, all those things, all these signs that are now gone, and they put up their signs, and they have belittled God's house, and they have made their name uh, great in the land, and they've stripped any thought that there was a God or there were people. And this is the one true and living God he's speaking to. And so, in this grief, he's seeing all of this unfold. And what he says is, God, just pull your hand out and strike them down. That's all you got to do, and it'll stop. It'll go away. Now, the question is, for you, maybe, you kind of say, do I feel this? I mean, that's a big, do you feel that? Does this bother you? Like, is this, you say, no, Jared, this happened forever ago this is not connected to me it doesn't it doesn't resonate and you may say that and you may say what is it what would it look like what what it would look like in our day the worship place what are we talking about is it a church building are we talking about what is the temple of god what is the temple of god i mean the scripture says jesus christ being the cornerstone and we are living stones. I think the most ap- application would be his church. 
not not this building, but his church. And and I think if you could move there, you might say, Lord, why do I see such sadness and destruction? Some of you have grown up in traditions that if you were to look at the the decline of those traditions, you would be blown away. You you, you would watch and think like the, the numbers of people uh, gathering with that group are dwindling. We could travel across the country and see building after building after building that was once a church building, a place where people gathered, and it's no longer. And we could keep moving on into that and say, we, we might say, well, you know, like I know there's less, but let's go listen to the words spoken. Let's go hear the preaching that's being done there, the songs that are being sung there. And you might go in there and you think like, these are not about God. These are not about Christ. These are not about, they're not talking about his, about Calvary. They're not talking about him dying for us. Or you might go in and you say, wait, this guy, he's a self-help preacher. He's not preaching the Bible. He's not talking about the, the doctrines of the faith or the glories of God or repentance uh, or, or faith or any of those things. He's just preaching self-help, and the people are so happy, and it's really large, and, and they're smiling. But he's not saying anything. He's not calling the people to their God. And so you might weep over that. You might say, I get so sad seeing the state of the church, and you think, and, and, and some of us get caught up, and you say, or you might go to a place, and it's like everything that's being talked about is some political thing tied to America. And you would say, wait, isn't this the church? Christ's church? Isn't this something he said the gates of hell will not prevail against? Isn't this a people that are awaiting the new Jerusalem? Really? You think that talking about the present country is more important than talking about the eternal God and His eternal purposes and the eternal weight of glory that comes to those who put their hope and faith in Christ. And you could be heartbroken because you think, this is, this is crazy. Or you might go somewhere and you think, like the, the pastors are preaching and teaching in a way that you think, man, they, are, um, they don't really believe the gospel anymore. They don't even know the gospel anymore. They know nothing of it. They've rejected it. The church has been, somebody's come in with, with uh, swords or, and, and, and axes and all. They've cut everything down. They've destroyed, it's left nothing there. It is just a building with people there with no gospel. The lampstand has been removed, as Revelation speaks of. So all of that, you could mourn with this. You could mourn with this if you stopped and said, let me see the state of the church, God's temple dwelling here on earth through Christ in the power of the spirit. You're looking there and you say, this doesn't look right. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and we in his in his way, we should be weeping over the state of the church. And then you could travel not just from here, but across the world. Because some people are like, 
when they think about things, all they think about it is in their particular place. But all around the world, and you look at situations, and you could be heartbroken. The enemy is seeking to devour the church, to to tear down the church, to destroy the church, to tempt the church, and to entice the church. And it is a struggle, and it's an ongoing struggle, and it's a struggle that should grieve you. It should, you, you may say, you know what, I just need to stop and think in my own family. And you look at your family and you think, what happened? There used to be a strong faith. There used to be a strong commitment for Christ. There used to be a love for Him. There used to be a, a, a standard of truth and right and hope. and all. Those things are gone. And it breaks your heart. So the first part is, you grieve. That you grieve with this psalm. You feel that. The second is you believe. Look at verses twelve through seventeen. Yet God is God my king is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks, and you dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavens, uh, heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. What's he saying? He's going back to creation, and he's saying something really fundamental about God. He is saying God is the one who breaks up disorder. If you go back to Genesis and and you see the sea, sea always kind of reminds you of something that is out of order in chaos and you see God divide the sea. You go later to the Red Sea and you're sitting there and you're thinking like, look at these waters and the people are looking out and saying, the waters of judgment are before us and the The armies are behind us, and God splits open the sea. But later, after they pass through, he brings the seas back over and crushes the enemy. And so it's just a reminder of this sea. It's kind of like God sets the boundaries of evil. The seas will not overtake his people. You see that in the life of Jesus when the Disciples are looking at at the waves that are coming and Jesus stands up and calms the sea. He reigns over the chaos. He reigns over the disorder. He reigns over all the falseness that's going on around us in our world. He reigns over it. And so you're saying like, God, remember, you've always been the one who has pushed back or held back uh, the, the treacherous waters that would overtake us. You've always done that. You protected us. You protected your people. And not only that, you know, there's the idea of the sea monster. You see it in Isaiah and Job and those things. Uh, Some people would even look back and say, and when we're thinking about this, you're probably thinking about the uh, Red Sea, and you're also thinking about the armies uh, of Pharaoh and them being crushed. But it's even more than that. You just see over and over God is displaying for us that he is the one who has power over all of those things. Every power that raises its head against God, every monstrous beast. That's in the Revelation uh, my dad and I have been talking about recently because I'll say there's such a simplicity to Revelation, and there is. It's like uh, when the beast is destroyed, when Babylon is destroyed, 
when all those things are destroyed, God does it. You know, I mean, it's like in, he's showing himself to be the one who the, the enemy raises up its frightening and, and fearful head and he crushes it down. And so he is looking back through history, both in creation and the redemptive works of God, and he is saying, God, I believe you. I believe you to be the one who has the power over all the supernatural powers of the evil one. Some of you right now may say, you know what, I get so depressed by what is going on in the broader church. I get so depressed about what's going on in individual Christians' lives. I get so depressed by all these things. I know what it's like to grieve. I know what it's like to grieve. I've seen it. I've been grieving for several years now. I identify with grieving. I understand that. But then you need to take the next step with the psalmist and say, but don't stay there. Grieving should lead to believing. That's kind of the way you want to get because you want to say, I need to grieve. It's the same way with your sin. Grieve over your sin long enough to be driven to the Savior, to faith in Him, to believing Him, to holding fast to Him. So you grieve, and then you also believe, you trust, you hope. And then that leads to someone in in, in a posture of believing begins to plead. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and foolish peoples revile your name. He wants the Lord to consider their words. He's now arguing with the Lord. Lord, you know what they're like. Stop them. Verse 19. And do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. When God spoke of his people in the Old Testament, he said, I did not choose you because you were strong. You are the weakest the smallest. He's saying, God, you know we're like a dove and these are ravenous wolves. We can't stand against them. He is saying, Lord, put these two images in your head. We will never stand. Please deliver. But then he goes on and says, "Let me. I'm going to bring something else to the fore. Remember those promises. He starts grieving. Then he recounts in, in, a, in an act of faith. And then he says, okay, hold on just a second. Remember the promises. Didn't, didn't, you, didn't you say these things to Abraham? Was it not an everlasting covenant? Was it not unilateral? That you alone, God, passed through the pieces? You alone committed to that? Abraham didn't do anything right or wrong. Abraham sat there passively as you passed through the pieces. Don't you remember? That promise was forever. Like, God, I'm going to hold on to covenant. I'm holding you to covenant. Didn't you say this is what you would do? Remember the promise of a people of a land, and a blessing. That's that's the thing. I think when you get sad 
by what you see in people's lives, in this church, in other Christians around you, in other nations when you read about the church, when you hear reports about how many uh, gatherings or, or, you know, or church gathering or groups gathering uh, decrease every year, when you hear about the false teaching, when you hear about how people are enticed by foolishness and lies and deceptive words, when you hear people talk about like how their church is nothing more than a carnival, and you're like, there's no church there. What Christ is there? Is that what Je- was Jesus a the greatest carnival act ever? Was he doing all those things to entertain the people? They all left him. It's not a good church model. Jesus wasn't doing that to say, here's a good church model. Throw these crazy like uh, parties and, and entice the crowds with your tricks. And then they'll follow me. It, it's, Jesus said, they've all left. Well, you too, the twelve? And the only hope he had in the twelve was the fact that God had divinely enabled them to believe him. So it's okay to grieve. It's disturbing. It should disturb you. But then you have to go back and say, who is our God? Behold our God. Seated on the throne. Behold Him. Know what He's done. What did He do in the past? Like, why would we believe that He would do anything less? And then you plead with Him. God, you're a covenant-keeping God. You made a promise to save a people from yourself, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The new covenant says that Jesus inaugurated it and that He will complete it. It will come to consummation in the future. I believe that you will do it. I believe that you will save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I believe that there will be people that will stand to the end. I believe today there are saints praying before the throne. How long, O Lord? And the Lord says, you wait just a little while. I am bringing my people in. I believe that Jesus is returning. He will destroy the works of the devil. He will destroy all who rebel against him. And he will set up a kingdom forever that will never be shaken. You believe. And then you plead, oh God, I believe you've said it and you will bring it to pass. There were some people... Five hundred years later from this psalm, who spent time grieving, believing, and pleading. You remember Simeon and Anna? One day when Simeon was in the temple, he saw a young couple come up with a baby boy. Remember that? And they put that baby boy in Simeon's arms. And by the Spirit, the old man said, in, in some sense, 
Because we know we've been reading the Psalter, we've been singing those songs. Maybe he said something like this, I've grieved and believed in his heart, maybe not verbally, and pled with the Lord. And now I see the Savior. For many of you today, you're sitting there and you're thinking, Lord, I am grieving and I do believe you and I am pleading and you can trust that you will not do that forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. May we be a place where the truth does not stumble. May we be a place of people that are people of faith. People committed to you and what you've said and exalting your name and reminding people of the truth. We pray that the eroding darkness and evil of the enemy that comes into the church seeking to destroy it. We pray you would stay the enemy's hand. And Lord, when we feel like all hope has been lost, I pray that we would cling to the reality that you're still on the throne and that we can trust you you are faithful to your promises. Though as we do at times say, how long, O Lord, may we be comforted by just a little while longer. In Christ's name, amen.